0: You're listening to a Richwood Church Podcast. That was really an appropriate song to sing, that the Lord is enough for us, because if you live on planet Earth, you are going to face trials. It's just going to happen. Sometimes these trials are just annoyances, and they're just like nibbling at our heels all of the time, but sometimes trials are paralyzing, and threaten to destroy you. But whatever the case, the truth is, no matter what the trial, we can learn how to thrive when we're going through that trial. We don't have to be a victim. We don't have to declare defeat. And Peter knew that these first-century Christians were facing trials. Down south in Rome, Nero was persecuting their friends and relatives. And they knew that persecution was coming their way. The, the culture was turning against them. It was difficult to be a believer. They were truly strangers and aliens. And so he wrote them a letter to encourage them, which we call the book of First Peter. But, you know, it's not easy for us either in, in, in our culture when we follow Jesus, we, we run the risk of, uh, of losing jobs and friends and opportunities. We're ridiculed for our faith. And up top of all of that, we're still subject to the normal highs and lows of life. So this morning, I want to encourage you. I, I want you to learn that you, you don't have to just survive, you can thrive. That, that when trials come into your life, you can glorify God. You can help make new Christians. You can truly triumph in trials. And the book called the Bible will encourage you with that today. So let's turn there into the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to begin this morning in verse 12. 1 Peter four twelve. If you want to use that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, you can just turn to page ten sixteen, or you can use your Ridgewood app, First Peter four twelve. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning or you're just newly engaged, we're working through a series of talks on the book of First Peter. We call it Strangers and Aliens because the culture is changing so rapidly that many times believers feel like we're just out of sorts. And Peter's writing to first century Christians just like us. And we want you to thrive. We want you to be closer to Christ and see him in a new way. And Peter's already encouraged us so much in this book. He's he's taught us that there's an inheritance in heaven waiting for us. So regardless of what happens in this world, there's something beautiful ahead. And that trials are used by God to refine us and to draw us closer to him. We've learned that we love each other well, we can thrive. And we're attractive to non-believers. And that because of God, we can live without fear. And so as we come to this particular section... Peter lays out four ways to flourish, even in trials, by expecting them, by learning to rejoice when they come, which is really hard, to suffer for the right reasons, and to learn how to entrust yourself totally to God. So let's read the text, and you'll see some of these ideas begin to flesh out. Verse 12, Beloved... or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, let him glorify God in that name." Verse 17, "...for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so, what Peter is saying here is that when trouble comes, you can not only just muddle through it, you can thrive in it. And here's how we do that. The first thing Peter instructs us to do here is expect trials to come. You can triumph during trials by simply expecting them. Not some big surprise that you're going to be smacked down at some point in your life. If you look at verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But it seems to me the Christian community is somehow shocked that the culture is becoming hostile to us. And, And so we don't always react in the right way, but here Peter is telling us, Don't be surprised. It's not something strange. And he's writing here at the time that Nero, who was just an awful person, lit Rome on fire and burned a huge section of Rome and then blamed it on believers, which set off 200 years of horrible persecution. And so this group he's writing to, these exiles that had fled Rome, had relatives back in the city, And they were just being treated awful. They were doing heinous things like covering them with pitch and lighting them on fire and using them as lamps in the imperial gardens. And they were being used, as you know, as entertainment in the Colosseum. Wild animals were chasing them, and they thought that was good fun. This is what Christians were dealing with. But Peter wanted them to know that that was not outside of God's purview. God knew about it. God is sovereign over it. And so you can take joy in this idea that when trials come into your life, it's not some surprising thing. And if you're under the impression, or if you live your life like it's just bad karma, when bad things start happening to you, or it's just bad luck, you're gonna get swallowed up in anger and self pity, and you're gonna be paralyzed. And so prepare for trials, expect them, read the Word of God. Gird yourself up in truth. Know who God is. Know who Jesus is. Know the power that's available to you. Pray like you mean it. Not cursory prayer, but go to war with God and say, I need you. Help me. Form me. Strengthen me. And then attach yourselves to other Christians so that when the trials do come, you'll have someone to encourage you. That can walk alongside of you. And so Peter is saying to us here, trials are coming and the first thing you can do to thrive in them is to expect their arrival. And here's the second thing. You can triumph during trials by learning to rejoice while you're in them. And there's, for me, there's nothing harder than to rejoice when you're in the hardest part of your life. And so look what Peter says here in 13 and 14, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So while we're expecting these trials to come and they are reality, we can take Incredible joy when we are persecuted for being a Christian. And I'm not talking about being giddy, and I'm not talking about being super happy, but I am talking about a contentedness, a peacefulness, a joy that comes when we know that God is in it. And there are three things here that Peter mentioned that help us find joy in the midst of trial. First, when we suffer for Christ, It allows us to partner with him. Peter says, to rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And that word share there is related to the Greek word koinonia, which denotes communion and fellowship and and, and close relationship. So there's no greater blessing for the believer that when we suffer for our faith, we are partnering in the mission that Jesus came to do which was to carry mankind's sin on his back to the cross where he died for them, making atonement for sin. And for those who come to him and believe in him can have eternal life. So when we suffer with Christ, for Christ, we are partnering with Jesus, and there can be incredible joy in that. Secondly, you can rejoice in the midst of trial because there's a reward waiting for you. Peter said, when his glory is Revealed at the end of time. And Peter has said, we have this vast inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. It's never going to go away. It's it's there. When when you're struggling, you can get your head up and you can look ahead and say, Yeah, this is hard, but wow, it's gonna be amazing. And then thirdly, joy and suffering can be yours because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is a really comforting phrase in the Old Testament if you were an Old Testament believer you'd have the Shekinah glory God's God's presence with you would come and would comfort you and empower you and show himself to you but now for us it's the power of the Holy Spirit that rests on you and so you can take comfort in that and you can know that God is always with you and so there's a joy that comes in that comfort What's interesting is rejoicing and suffering is is, is very strange to non-believers. Because the last thing that people expect you to do when you're going through a hellish season of your life is to find a measure of joy in it. And when you can express confidence in God, and when you can express that you have a future, and when you can express that you are not angry at God because you know that He's doing What's best even though you're hurting desperately? People take notice of that because that's different. And that's new to them. And they're attracted to that. And they're going to poke around to find out how you can think that way. So do you want others to meet Christ through your trials? Then Peter is telling you here, expect them. And when they come, find joy in them. Because you share a partnership with Christ, there are great rewards ahead, and God will strengthen you. Now, this must have been incredibly exciting news to these exiled believers, because they were hurting. And it wouldn't have been unusual for them to find out on a daily basis that their friends and relatives were being killed back in Rome. And so, Peter's writing to them saying, all of these things are true. And he moves now forward to help them triumph in trials. And here's the third reason. You can triumph during trials by suffering for the right reasons. By suffering for the right reasons. Sometimes suffering is caused by sinful actions, our own consequence of sin. That's not what Peter's referring to here. If you look at 15 and 16, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler, stop there for just a minute. Meddler. That—that's just what it sounds. A meddler, in everybody else's business, gossiping, it, busybodies, and, and it's right in there with murderer, thief, evil doer, meddler. Why did Peter include that? Likely because. This would be an outgrowth of a lack of faith. It destroys unity and it becomes destructive to the unity of the church. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. So there are two basic reasons here for suffering. One, consequence of our own sin. This isn't what Peter's referring to. Secondly, simply because we are believers in Jesus Christ. We suffer. That's what Peter's referring to. And that's what sets us apart. Now, the interesting thing is this term Christian does not appear very often in the New Testament. And Christian simply means follower of Christ. But in that culture, it would have been a derogatory term. If somebody would have said, hey, Christian, that would have been seen as making fun of you. Ridiculing you. And so, by just associating with Christ, you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be made fun of. And the, the thing I find interesting about America today is that this is coming more and more into our sphere of activity. When we simply identify with biblical worldviews, and as a follower of Christ, we are immediately labeled bigot, racist homophobe, name it. And so, Peter's saying, rejoice that you are suffering for the name of Christ as a Christian. Don't rub it in people's faces. Don't go asking for it. Don't try to get it. But if it happens, inside you can say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. That's okay. Now, what about verses 17 and 18? Because this doesn't seem to fit. It's kind of strange. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So this is kind of a confusing couple of verses, but what the apostle's doing here is drawing a parallel. Judgment begins in the household of God, which is the church, but it's not a punitive judgment. In other words, it's not we're, I'm taking your salvation away. I, I, I'm going to punish you for sin by removing the fact that you're going to be in heaven someday. It's not what he's saying. He's talking about cleansing and purifying the church. And he's thinking about probably Ezekiel 9, Malachi 3, these different passages that talk about purification. And so He's saying that if the church is going to be purified, if judgment starts with his own people, how awful it's going to be for those that don't even know Christ. You and I, we're we're covered by the blood of Christ. We, We wear the robe of righteousness. But for those that don't know Jesus, the judgment is going to remove them from eternity in heaven to eternity in hell as a just punishment for sin. And so... We need to be sharing our faith. Judgment has started here. It will end up out there. So we need to be inviting friends into a relationship with Jesus. Now, inviting people into a relationship with Jesus is not nearly as complicated as we've made it. And I'm going to spend some time this fall, I'm going to do a series in the book of Acts called Multiply. And we're going to see that as I'm reading through Acts, preparing for that, just getting my mind around it, how often Almost every chapter and more were added to the church, and more came to know Jesus, and more were added to the church, because people were just living out their faith. They were attractive to nonbelievers, and so you are the best missionary, and it is not complicated. You can simply invite someone to church that you know. And there doesn't have to be a lot of precondition on that. One of the reasons we're doing Illuminate is because we want to provide something for you here that you're proud of when you bring your friends to church. Something that's safe for their kids. Something that looks compelling to them. There's a lot of opportunities for you when you're you're at a ball game watching your kids play or or soccer or or dance. You have a chance to get to know the other parents. And you can strategically sort of get involved with their lives and, and ask about how they are. And before you know it, you've got new friends and a new mission field. That you are the best missionaries. It, it, it's not for the staff, it's not for the pastors. When when they find out I'm a holy man, they turn off. Like a lot of times, what do you do for a living? I don't know. What what's that? I <laughs> don't Because if I say pastor, they go, Oh, don't swear. It's the first thing they always say. Don't swear. But you don't have that hurdle. You can go out and you can invite people. You can get involved with their lives because judgment begins in the house of God. So who have you told this week about Jesus? Who have you invited to church this year or last year? Who are you planning on inviting to church at Easter? Because Easter's coming up. You are the best missionary. Here's an example. If we did an Easter mailer. Okay, so let's say that we send out 5,000 mailers, which we, which we might do. That industry says you get a result, and this is generous, 2 to 3% return. And I, I had a lady walk up to me after the first service and say, oh no, it's less, less than 1%, but I'm sticking with my numbers because otherwise I can't do the math. So let's just be generous and say 2 to 3% success rate. That means that if we send 5,000 out, we'd get 150 visitors on Easter. That's that's awesome. Except for it's not nearly what you can do. If if you're the one inviting, the statistics skyrocket. One-on-one invitations are the best. Church experts say this. If someone, an unchurched person, is invited by a family member there's a 55% chance that person's going to come to church. That's compared to 2 or 3% or 1% over here with the mailers, 55%. If they are invited by a friend or a neighbor, it's 51%. You are by far the best missionary. And so if you do the numbers at Easter, for example, if each of us invited two people to Easter, given the size of our congregation. And given these numbers, that means we'd have 400 visitors at Easter. If each of us invited four, that'd be 800. Now that's amazing. And so be praying about who you can invite. And I think that's doable. I mean, I think that's one family, four people. Because we need to get people to hear the gospel. Now, I'm not saying this is the only place. You're actually a better gospel presenter than I am because they know you, they trust you, your life speaks louder than me, but this is a tool. Bring them here, and I'll preach the gospel to them on Easter. But here's the thing. We have to be urgent about this because judgment is coming. It's righteous judgment. It's, it's judgment on sin. It needs to happen or God wouldn't be holy And we want them to find the same pathway to joy and the same pathway to salvation that we have found. And so we suffer well because we believe that Jesus is with us. We suffer for the right reasons. We expect these trials to come and we rejoice in them because Jesus is with us. But Peter offers one more tool in this passage and it's Probably the most important one of all. Look at verse 19. And I want you to notice the emphasis on submission, giving up control, and relying on God in order to thrive in difficult times. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here's what Peter's saying. You can triumph during trials by simply entrusting yourself to God. Now, I say simply, but that's not an easy thing to do. But as creator, God knows more about you than anyone else. And this is a, this is a banking term. Entrust is this idea of to deposit for safekeeping. Peter is literally asking you to deposit your soul with God. To trust him with your soul, now, I don't know about you. I'm not, I'm not a genius when it comes to money. And so I'm not a genius when it comes to anything, really, but money's just one of those. But when I go visit like a financial advisor, I always have this huge lump in my throat, because number one, I don't know what I'm talking about. Number two, I'm always wondering, is this the right person? Is this going to be handled the right way? Is this person going to rip me off? Because once I give this person access to my money, then that's theirs to do with what they want with it, and that's frightening. What God's asking us to do is to trust him enough to relinquish ourselves into his care, to deposit ourselves into his safekeeping. Because then we can relinquish all of the stuff we carry along with us. And the, and the practical ramification of that is that you'll know that your eternal soul is safe. And you don't have to worry about that. No matter how crazy this culture gets, you're, you're good. You're good to go. And then you'll begin to act more like him. You'll do good, as Peter puts it. You'll expect trials because Jesus said so. You'll be ready for them because your soul's already taken care of. And then you'll be filled with joy even in suffering because you have this incredible God that is taking care of you that you've entrusted yourself to so this morning I just want to ask you have you entrusted yourself to God now if you're not a follower of Christ you may have heard some of this and you're saying to yourself wow I I really don't understand all that but there's truth in it there's a ring of truth there And I want to pursue that. I want you to pursue that. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can talk to someone that you came with. You can just write, I want to know more about Jesus on one of those connect cards. You can talk to me after service, whatever your choice might be. But pursue that. If you've been a believer a long time this morning and you're sitting here and you're going, I'm suffocating. I want to have joy. I want to entrust myself, but I can't because these trials are killing me. And it could be in the area of marriage. Marriage is high stress in this culture. And maybe you feel like you're drowning and you don't know how to save your marriage. Or your children are are so struggling that you can't think of anything else. It might be your job. You you go to it every day and you hate it. And, And your boss is mean and he's asking you to do things that are full of a lack of integrity, or maybe it's school, you, you, you get sick every morning because you have to face bullies, and you're not excelling, and it's a struggle. For some of you, you're grieving, you, you're, you're dealing with death. I, I met with a couple this week that just lost their son a year ago, and they're grieving, but they're grieving with hope because they know where their son is. Or maybe you're struggling with illness and it's chronic and it drives you nuts and nobody else really realizes how hard it is. You're suffocating. But now is the time where you can have hope because I'm asking you to deposit that into the hands of God. Jesus said, why don't you let me carry your burdens? If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, he's strong enough to carry all of this. Why do we hold on to that? And so I'm asking you to do that this morning because that will help you to thrive knowing that God has you and has these things and He's working His best will in them. So this morning will you submit yourself to a loving God? If you do you can triumph in trials. Before we go to the Lord's table I love you take just a minute close your eyes and pray and Ask God, what is it that you want me to give to you this morning? Lord, what do you want me to do with this pain I'm feeling or this uncertainty and this insecurity? and, And can you help me? And he will help you. So just talk to him now for a moment. And then we'll go to the Lord's table together. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.